Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On June 30, 2016, the emergency services were called to an address in Leeds after a young man was struggling to breathe. What the paramedics found would remain with them for the rest of their lives. Paramedics arrived at a property on Butterbowl Garth in Farnley, a district of Leeds two miles southwest of the city centre. On the 999 call, Dawn Cranston told the operator about her son Jordan. He was unresponsive. He's been poorly and having problems breathing, she said. He's gasping for breath and not responding. He was refusing to go to the toilet so I put a nappy on him. He was fine half an hour ago and was chatting and talking. He's so stubborn, he wouldn't go to the doctors. Arriving just minutes later, at around quarter past eleven in the morning, the emergency crew noted the home was cluttered, tightly packed, with the curtains drawn. Boxes were piled high and the property was in disarray, with mounds of belongings scattered everywhere. Laying on an inflatable mattress in the front room of the house, 
Dawn's son Jordan Burling was found unresponsive. At five feet five inches tall and 18 years of age, it would not be surprising if paramedics thought they were treating the wrong person. Jordan was later described as a typical young man who enjoyed playing video games, watching DVDs and loved wrestling, especially WWE. Wearing a soiled nappy, he was emaciated, weighing under just six stone, 81 pounds to be precise. Jordan was breathing heavily and paramedics did what they could. However, only three minutes after arriving, he became unresponsive and gradually his heart slowed before beating one final time. As the emergency crew tried in vain for 50 minutes to resuscitate the 18-year-old, his grandmother, who also lived at the property, remained in the kitchen, sitting on the chair in the corner of the room, watching television. Jordan's mother seemed unemotional, telling paramedics at the time her son was treated that he had not been eating for a few weeks. Jordan's parents had separated years earlier, and although his father Stephen Burling had not seen his son for approximately six months, he often asked Dawn how Jordan was. Upon learning that his son was unwell prior to his death, Stephen requested that his estranged wife seek medical assistance at the doctor's. In one text message exchange he wrote, I've been told by your mother not to come. I told you to take him to the doctors and you won't listen to me. He's not the same person. Dawn responded, The last ten years have been spent battling depression, anxiety attacks and sleeping two hours a day. Hashtag problems. The pair had met two and a half decades earlier and then they had their first child, Abigail. Jordan followed, though at the time Dawn was unaware she was pregnant, until she started to go into labour. During his early years, Jordan was removed from Farnley Park High School after attending for only a few terms. He was taken out of school as he was the subject of bullying from other children. His mother would later state that she bought him textbooks, a laptop and printer, and did what she could to teach him at home. She researched teaching methods, and took him on day visits to the National Media Museum in Bradford and the National Railway Museum in York. In 2011, Dawn began to work a night shift stacking shelves, and it was from this point she struggled to keep on top of not only Jordan's health, but what he was eating. His mother would insist that she fed him, later stating that he ate, quote, pizzas, spaghetti bolognese, ravioli, spare ribs, crisps, Haribo, and all sorts of different things. Following his studies at home, Jordan did not achieve any qualifications as he failed to sit exams. As he grew from a child to a young man, Jordan's social circle became smaller and smaller, and before long, Jordan Burling was all but forgotten. His cause of death was later confirmed as bronchopneumonia, 
However, this was ultimately caused by a number of other factors, which would have no doubt raised some concern and would later be debated by experts. Following a post-mortem, doctors now knew the reason how Jordan died, but they did not know why. Medical professionals could not find an underlying illness which would have led to the deterioration in his health. Police from the West Yorkshire Constabulary started to take an interest in the events leading up to the end of June 2016. Detectives spoke with Dawn's work colleagues at Poundland, asking if they knew about the condition Dawn's son was in. As early as November 2015, Dawn had told a colleague, Laura Thomas, that her son had lost a considerable amount of weight, two stone, and that he had asked his mother to go to the doctors with him. Dawn then told her manager, Abdul Baksh, that Jordan had visited the GP and been prescribed vitamins as he was malnourished. In the house, three fully stocked fridges were found. Dawn soon informed her supervisor that Jordan was ill and unable to walk. She needed time off work to care for him. She had mentioned to another member of staff that Jordan had something wrong with his bones, following another visit to see a doctor. This claim was repeated to her friend Laura, though she explained that experts had no idea what was wrong. An outreach worker, Sharon Sherd, visited the home after Jordan's death and was told by Dawn that she had requested a doctor visit her son. However, due to her late-night shift patterns stacking shelves at work, it made things hard. She wanted to be at the appointment too. Officers investigating Jordan's death struggled to reconcile his condition with the information they were being told by Dawn, her mother Denise and Jordan's sister, Abigail. It wasn't until they started to ask more and more questions, detectives realised that Dawn Cranston and her family were not being completely honest. Upon further inspection of the property the following month in the cul-de-sac on Butterbowl Garth, things took an incredibly dark turn when an inspection was completed in what would have been Jordan's bedroom. A rucksack was unearthed in the mess, hidden in a wardrobe. When the backpack was lifted off the shelf, a rancid-smelling liquid emanated and it was leaking. Opening the rucksack, the officer found plastic bags wrapped within plastic bags. There was something inside. As the bags were removed, the smell worsened, and among a thick liquid, they found a collection of bones and teeth. They would be all that was left of a baby. Experts were able to confirm that the child was aged between 38 to 40 weeks. It was later understood that the baby had been born some 14 years earlier, though due to the condition of the remains... Analysis could not determine if the child had been born dead or alive. Dawn Cranston, Jordan's mother, Denise Cranston, his grandmother, and Abigail Burling, his sister, 
were arrested five weeks after he passed away. They were charged with manslaughter by gross negligence. DNA analysis later confirmed that the baby was Dawn Cranston's. The investigation was incredibly complex. It wouldn't be until two years after Jordan died that the case was brought before a jury. It was during the trial that the strange and horrifying events that led to Jordan Burling's untimely death would be revealed. Dawn Cranston, Denise Cranston and Abigail Burling were charged with manslaughter, not murder as it was considered there was no intention to cause Jordan serious harm. The prosecution believed there was no premeditation behind their actions. Opening the trial at Leeds Crown Court, Nicholas Lumley QC said, We do not pretend that Jordan Burling had an especially healthy or happy life, even in his early years. The prosecutor told jurors that when attending Farnley Park High School, Jordan soiled himself, leaving faeces on the floor. Following the incident, he was removed from school by his mother after she notified the council, telling them that she was going to teach him at home. Prior to his removal, teachers noted that Jordan's dental hygiene was poor and he had head lice. The last documented visit to the dentist was in 2009, which saw treatment required to 16 of his teeth, leading to four extractions. He never attended school or college again, never took any examinations or achieved any qualifications, the prosecutor said. Nor did he ever work as far as can be ascertained. From the time Jordan was taken out of school, he became increasingly anonymous. Education and social services played little part in his life. As the three defendants sat quietly in the dock, Blumley spoke about Jordan and went on to say, He only really had contact with his immediate family. He may have been invisible to the authorities, but not so to these defendants. Explaining the condition that Jordan was found in, the prosecutor could make little sense of the tragic loss of life. Quote, For reasons which may never be understood, Jordan had been allowed to decay, to rot to death, by those closest to him for at least several weeks. There was no other reason for his death, no natural or other illness, apart from the conditions created for him by the accused. Paramedics who attended the scene took the stand and described what they saw when they arrived at the property on Butterbold Garth in Farnley. Yorkshire Ambulance Service paramedic Robert Tiffany testified he found Jordan in the living room on an inflatable mattress. He looked very skinny, very poorly. He was breathing but gasping, the paramedic said. After asking Dawn Cranston when her son had last seen a doctor, the paramedic was told two years ago. Looking at the 18-year-old who was, in his words, skin and bone, the paramedic asked when Jordan had last eaten. He was told two weeks ago. 
Only minutes earlier, Dawn had told the 999 operator that it was a blessing that Jordan was unwell, as she wouldn't have to go to work. From the stand, Robert Tiffany was asked about Jordan's mother. What was she doing while the paramedics fought to save her son's life? Tiffany said she was sitting quietly. His testimony spoke of a woman almost detached from the reality of what was going on around her. Asked by Dawn Cranston's defence counsel, Simon Keeley QC, if Dawn seemed expressionless, the paramedic responded, Definitely expressionless, yes. Tiffany's fellow paramedic Graham Farrar was also asked about Dawn Cranston's emotional state at the time her son was being treated, and Farrar said that she seemed calm and did not seem distressed by the events that were unfolding before her. Another paramedic, Bridget Shepard, was surprised at the demeanour of Jordan's mother. While the paramedics fought for nearly an hour to save Jordan's life, the witness would tell the court, she did not seem to be bothered about what was going on. She did not seem to be in shock. On the third day of the trial, the court heard from Jordan's father, Stephen Burling, who had been estranged from Jordan for a large part of his life. He was asked about Jordan's mother, Dawn. How did she care for their son while the pair were together? He replied that she was a good mum, a caring mum. In 2001, social services became involved with the family when it was recorded that Dawn Cranston and Stephen Burling were struggling and needed parental support. A year later, Jordan's parents had split up However, his mother was evicted from her then home, so Jordan went to stay with his father, albeit briefly. Following this, Dawn and her children moved into her mother's property on Butterbold Garth, and Jordan did not see his father until a number of years later when he was in his teens. Jurors read a primary school report which stated there was a general neglect of Jordan's basic needs. He did not seem to know how to use the toilet, lacked some language skills, and his teeth were black. Staff also noted that Jordan's footwear was far too big, with socks stuffed into the front part of his shoes. Stephen Burling admitted to the court that he should have maintained better contact with his son, though he did pay child maintenance. The witness went on to testify that during Jordan's teens, his son appeared to be healthy but it was in December 2015, the final time they met face-to-face at Stephen Burling's home in Seacroft, Leeds. There was no colour in Jordan's cheeks. Stephen asked his son if something was wrong, and Jordan said it must have been something he ate. Recalling the memories of Jordan, Stephen Burling became visibly upset, trying to compose himself. He told the court, I put a brick wall in front. I can't really grieve. Stephen's sister Sandra, Jordan's aunt, also saw her nephew at the end of 2015 and would testify. He looked very ill. His skin was tight to his face and he was gaunt. His breathing was very shallow. He sat down on the sofa and it was like he was trying to catch his breath 
I told him, you need to go and get yourself checked. He didn't really respond. Stephen and Sandra's brother Michael told the court that following Jordan's death, he spoke to both Dawn Cranston and Abigail Burling after they came to visit the home he shared with his brother and sister in Seacroft. The impression I got of Dawn was it was like she wasn't grieving, he said. They wanted to know what Stephen, Jordan's father, had said to police. After evidence was presented about Jordan's early life, testimony was then provided by a number of officers who attended the scene shortly after his death. Police Constable Ben McNamara told jurors that when he arrived, he was asked by Jordan's mother how much a funeral would cost. The constable found the atmosphere strange for such a tragic time, being that Jordan had only died a few hours earlier. Dawn Cranston told him she wasn't even aware that she was pregnant with Jordan up until she was about to give birth. After speaking to the individuals who are now defendants at trial, the officer told the court, in his words, I thought the whole family had some sort of learning difficulty or mental health issue. Police Constable Emma Robson, who also arrived at the scene along with PC McNamara, testified that she also noted the unexpected behaviour at the property as Dawn seemed more interested in how she might be able to get a refund from Amazon for a Zimmer frame and some American food she had purchased for her son. The Zimmer frame, which was scheduled to arrive a day after Jordan died, cost £7. After the arrests, the three defendants were questioned. Dawn Cranston seemed evasive during her interviews at Ellen Road Police Station, replying no comment to most of the questions posed. Dawn insisted that the reason why they did not raise the alarm sooner regarding Jordan's condition was that Jordan did not want any assistance. Dawn also argued she was facing mental health issues. I'm depressed, she said. I didn't do anything. He wouldn't let me do anything. I cared for him. He wouldn't let me help him. Denise Cranston, Jordan's grandmother, was also interviewed about her grandson and there seemed to be little compassion in her responses. With hindsight, I thought he was stupid. He was an idiot. He was stubborn. He wouldn't let anyone through that door if he knew you had phoned. Asked if she felt responsible, Denise replied, no. And when questioned further on who was ultimately to blame, she replied, nobody. One of the police officers who conducted the interviews and the prosecutor read from a transcript of a conversation with Denise Cranston at the start of August 2016. Denise Cranston told officers that they had a system in the house where they lived, which meant if you were hungry, you would get up and get your own food. Jordan's grandmother was asked about what happened to Jordan and his inability to walk. She told them that a bone in Jordan's leg had, quote, cracked after a visit to the toilet. 
Denise Cranston insisted that it was Jordan's decision that he could no longer walk. He was made a makeshift bed in the front room and was dressed in adult nappies. After Denise was asked about Jordan's ever-worsening condition in the months leading up to his death and how she treated his bed sores with sanitary towels, she simply said it was one of those things that happened. Jordan's grandmother thought he did not have a problem with food and explained to officers that we looked after him. That was our duty. She insisted that it had been Jordan who did not want to see a doctor as in the past he had been one minute late for an appointment and was refused to see a healthcare professional. A home office pathologist, Dr. Kirsten Hope, confirmed that Jordan had died from bronchopneumonia. The doctor told jurors at Leeds Crown Court that the underlying reason for the infection was due to malnutrition. There had been signs of muscle wastage, severe dehydration. Jordan had poor dental hygiene and the skin on his scalp was described as scaly. His fingernails and toenails were long and unkempt and he had sores from his head down to his toes. You can see the chest bone and the ribs protruding through the skin, the witness would tell jurors. A radiologist would later testify that it was challenging to complete a full scan as Jordan's body had such a small amount of body fat. Based on their analysis, the expert witness also told the court that it was possible that Jordan was also suffering from tuberculosis before his death. The overall state of Jordan's body indicates neglect, Dr. Hope would tell the court. Jordan's bones were similar to that of a middle-aged woman. The prosecution witness would go on to explain that the source found on Jordan's body indicated that he was immobile for a prolonged period. Photographs of Jordan were shown to the court. The jury were warned that these images would be distressing. Jordan's mother's request to leave the court during the testimony by medical experts was granted. She was not made to sit through some incredibly upsetting evidence, a privilege not afforded to the jury. A bone pathologist, Professor Mangum, testified to the court that while there were examples on an international level, he had never seen anything like it in the United Kingdom. Jordan's weight was well below the level of someone who had severe anorexia. At 5 foot 5, the 18-year-old weighed 5 stone 11 pounds. The pathologist described Jordan's condition to the court. The malnutrition was so severe that the body had drawn on the fat in the marrow of the bones as an energy source, as a last resort to supply the heart and brain. Part of the trial was dedicated to understanding if perhaps Jordan had an eating disorder, although there was no record to suggest he suffered from anorexia or bulimia. Tests were completed following his death and there were no recorded signs of either celiac disease or Crohn's, 
both of which are digestive conditions leading to frequent aches or cramps, weight fluctuation and diarrhoea. Dr Jacqueline Loden, an NHS dietitian who analysed the results taken during Jordan's post-mortem, told the jury that he had a BMI of 13.6. Body mass index is calculated by dividing an adult's weight in kilograms by their height in metres squared. While it is not always an accurate tool of measurement, it is often used to identify if someone is a healthy weight. A BMI of 13.6 would be categorised as severely underweight. The expert dietitian told the court that they had never witnessed malnutrition to this degree in the two and a half decades that they had been working in that field. Dr. Loden said that a healthy adult male requires around 3,000 calories a day. A person of Jordan's weight at the time of his death was receiving around 185. The observation that Jordan looked like a World War II concentration camp victim was raised and the doctor agreed when asked if this was a fair assessment. It was believed that Jordan's suffering was prolonged, with experts estimating a period of severe malnourishment beginning six months before his death. The court heard from a neighbour of the Cranstons, Sandra Detchen, who lived on Butterbold Garth in Farnley, told jurors the Cranston family rarely ventured out and the children were never seen playing outside. When Sandra saw the ambulance pull up outside on June 30, 2016, she watched on as the paramedics rushed in. She was puzzled about what she saw next as the human remains pouch the paramedics used was so small. I saw the bag that he was taken away in and I thought good grief at the size of it because it was tiny. Sandra Detchen would later see Denise, Jordan's grandmother. He told her neighbour that Jordan died in her arms, at odds with the accounts given by the paramedics. Karen Tiffany, a learning mentor, had visited the family when Jordan was four years old. She was at first almost denied entry, but when she accessed the home she saw Jordan on the floor in a nappy that had not been changed in quite some time. The learning mentor saw damp on the walls, mouldy food throughout the house, and there was an awful smell that she could not identify where it came from. Based on the dates given by Dawn Cranston, this may have been soon after she gave birth and hid the baby's body. During the second week of the trial, Dawn Cranston Jordan's mother would take the stand. The 45-year-old spoke of a son that was a fussy eater, but she now claimed that he had been eating and drinking regularly up until his death. Dawn insisted to jurors that after Jordan became ill over Christmas 2015, she asked him if he needed to go to the doctors countless times, however he wouldn't see one. Jurors at Leeds Crown Court were told he behaved like the quote, man of the house. You couldn't tell him what to do. He used to say it all the time. Jordan's health worsened further in April 2016, 
by which time he remained in the same position all day. Dawn testified that Jordan never mentioned he was in pain, despite the numerous pressure sores all over his body. She went on to say, he was obviously losing weight. He got to the point where he wouldn't move out of the chair. I offered him cowpole, offered him paracetamol a few times, but he didn't want to take them. Dawn also spoke about the remains found in a rucksack in Jordan's room. She had been charged with concealing the birth of a child. She pleaded guilty. Dawn could not be exactly sure of when she gave birth, however said it was during some point in 2002 or thereabouts. The father was Stephen Burling, her estranged partner and Jordan's father. Her family had been downstairs watching football as Dawn gave birth in a bedroom of the home. I started to panic, she said. I remember I was on the floor and I am pretty sure I think I put sheets underneath me. I heard no noise, nothing, she said. There were no signs at all of life. I just panicked, as nobody else knew that I was pregnant. Dawn explained she tried everything, including mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Dawn was asked what she did next. She considered digging a hole in a nearby park and disposing of the body there, however was too scared as it might look suspicious. I just wrapped it up and put it in the wardrobe. I remember putting it there. Dawn could not recall what she did with the blood-soaked sheets. Asked why she never moved the remains of the baby, she simply said she never got round to it. There always seemed to be someone about, she explained. Asked if she ever thought about what she did, she said, I shut down. Every day I thought about burying it, but as I say, there was always somebody in the house. The dead baby which Dawn said was a boy remained in the wardrobe for the next 14 years, throughout much of which its two older siblings slept in the same room only feet away from the decaying body of their dead brother. Dawn Cranston was asked why she did not tell her parents that she had given birth. She told the court she didn't want to worry them. She was asked by prosecutor Nicholas Lumley QC if she killed the baby, perhaps smothered it. She replied, No, definitely not. Dawn gave the same answer when asked if the baby was alive when she put the body in the rucksack. As Dawn was questioned further by the prosecutor, she became ever more tearful as she told the jury that she thought Jordan was getting better in spite of his worsening condition. The prosecutor asked, Was it not the time to ring 999? You should have picked up the phone, shouldn't you? Dawn again claimed she thought Jordan was getting better and she did not want him to die. Are you making this up as you go along? The prosecutor asked. Dawn replied, This is the honest truth. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A consultant psychiatrist, Dr. Van Velsen, believed that Dawn Cranston was suffering from a dissociative disorder. Jurors were told that this meant she would mentally detach herself from reality. An example of this could be seen when Dawn concealed the birth of a child in 2002. It was noted by her defence counsel that it was clear Dawn exhibited signs of depression and symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. He spoke of a difficult childhood. Dawn was bullied at school, experienced sexual assault in her teenage years, and her father Bert took his own life in 2006 at the home the family shared in Farnley. He was found hanging from a rope in the bedroom next to Dawn's. It sent me into freefall. I felt like I was in another world with the depression, she said. Dawn would describe it as one of the most tragic periods of her life, making no mention of the dead baby she had hidden in the home only four years earlier. It was highlighted by the defence counsel after this period she struggled to cope, and following some targeted antisocial behaviour towards the family, they withdrew further. Eggs were thrown at their windows and mud posted through their letterbox 
with children often knocking on the door before running away. This occurred over a number of years that was not reported to the police. Dawn's mother Denise Cranston gave testimony and also mentioned how strong-willed her grandson was. She explained that Jordan would get angry and did not want to see a doctor. He wouldn't see one, she said. He got nasty with me, calling me names and insults about my appearance. Once he started like that, I backed off. On the topic of caring for Jordan, replacing his adult nappies five times a day, she said, he ended up flat on his back. We tried to put him on his side, but he always ended up on his back. We did it all for him. We were like a servant to him. I don't know if Dawn thought of it like that. The family, in Denise's words, became nose-blind to the smell as Jordan asked them not to open the windows of the home because of the draft. During her police interviews, Denise Cranston denied that Jordan had not eaten, insisting he had consumed a McDonald's the day before he died and would often drink five milkshakes a day. The 70-year-old also mentioned the suicide of her husband. She described him as overbearing. My husband didn't like us showing emotion. He thought it was a weakness in everybody. He would flare up if I started to cry, she said. The couple were married for nearly four decades, and throughout the union Denise told the court that her husband made her feel horrible and nervous. Bert suffered from depression, she said, and heard voices before he took his own life. Abigail Burling's QC told the court that he would not be submitting any evidence on behalf of his client. She had instructed her counsel that she did not want to give evidence, and the judge reminded the jury that based on Abigail's decision, the jury could form a conclusion regarding her guilt. Nicholas Lumley QC prosecuting highlighted that following Jordan's death, his now 25-year-old sister made attempts to distance herself from her mother and grandmother. When interviewed by police, Abigail explained that she was not a regular at the home on Butterbowl Garth, insisting she was at her home on Cow Close Road, about a four-minute drive southeast. However, the prosecution analysed Abigail's mobile phone data and proved that the device was in or around Butterbowl Garth for all but four of the days between April 2016 when Jordan's health began to worsen substantially and his death at the end of June. Closing statements were heard. The three defence counsels argued that as Jordan was 18 at the time of his death, the magic number, as it was described, he could refuse treatment as he was an adult. Following a month and a half of witness testimony and arguments from the prosecution and defence counsels, the jury retired to consider their verdict. 
Dawn and Denise Cranston were found guilty of manslaughter. Though Abigail Burling was acquitted of the manslaughter charge, she was found guilty of causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. Dawn Cranston Jordan's mother had also pleaded guilty to concealing the birth of a child, contrary to Section 60 of the Offences Against the Person Act, 1861. Behind the closed doors of the family home in Farnley, now boarded up, Jordan was, in the words of the prosecution, allowed to rot to death. This was the life and death of a teenager suffering from malnutrition and riddled with bed sores so bad his bones were exposed. Jordan was effectively invisible to those outside the warped cocoon of the family home. After the verdict, Chief Crown Prosecutor for CPS Yorkshire and Humberside, Jerry Wareham, addressed the shocking nature of the case. This was a tragic case in the truest sense of the word, a word that's often overused. And I think there was an extremely thorough investigation in this case, as the judge has commented in his commendation. And I'm satisfied that the case was professionally and properly brought and well prepared and that there was a fair exposition of all the facts in this case. However, the prosecution take no pleasure in this verdict and the sentences handed down today. But there is some satisfaction. Satisfaction in that there's some justice finally for Jordan and for his family, and in particular his father, whose pain and distress was all too clear from the statement that was read to the court today. And I'm hoping that he can get some... Jerry Wareham went on to say... Words cannot begin to convey the extent of Jordan's terrible suffering at the hands of the very people he should have been able to trust the most. In a statement read outside the court on behalf of the family on Jordan's father's side, his aunt Susan said, We feel betrayed by the people we trusted to care for Jordan. Stephen and the family will always remember Jordan having a bubbly and chatty personality. We've had two years of hell coming to terms with Jordan's death and we would like to thank the police and everyone involved who has helped to support us through this dreadful time. We now want to be left to grieve in peace and to lay Jordan and the baby to rest with the dignity and love they deserve. During sentencing, two days after the verdict, Mr Justice Spencer made it clear that Jordan's mother and grandmother were in no way struggling to make ends meet. The judge spoke about the condition Jordan was found in and pictures of him found on Dawn Cranston's mobile phone. The photos were taken on May 20th, 2016, almost six weeks before he died. In one of the images, Jordan can be seen in a blue shirt, which has been lifted above his waist exposing his stomach and chest. His bones are clearly protruding and the glasses which sit on his nose look oversized for his tiny frame. Also, Jordan's medical records were analysed to further understand his condition and it was discovered that the defendants claimed that Jordan was refused an appointment because he was late never occurred. The judge stated... It is inherently improbable that a doctor would have refused to see a patient in such circumstances. 
As Jordan was unable to move in the final months of his life, he developed pressure ulcers, with the situation being further compounded by severe incontinence, which the defendants said they treated themselves. After the home was searched by police, a computer was found. Police carried out analysis on the search history and found that someone in the home had conducted searches on Google for how to treat pressure sores. Dawn and Denise claim they changed Jordan's adult nappy and bathed his pressure sores in salt water, applying nappy cream, then taping the wounds over with sanitary pads. However, a witness for the prosecution, Helen Hill, an expert in tissue viability, had never seen ulcers so bad. The skin in the infected areas was dead, leaving exposed bone. The victim impact statement was written by Stephen Burling, addressing the heartache and shock in relation to finding out that not only his son Jordan had died, but his estranged partner had given birth to a second son that he was completely unaware of. Stephen Burling wrote, I cannot understand why all these horrific things have happened to me and my family. I'm trying to process my feelings and reactions to the loss of my children. I don't know how I'm ever going to grieve for them. Our family has forever changed by these events. My emotions and thoughts are difficult to cope with. My younger relatives can't understand why I'm so difficult and quiet. My family and I are ordinary people who are having to deal with such a traumatic chain of events. Expressing his disbelief at the situation as he sentenced three generations from the same family, the judge said, It is profoundly disturbing and almost beyond belief that Jordan Burling, a young man of 18, should have been allowed to die in his own home here in Leeds in 2016, in the bosom of his family, through the failure of all three of you to take the elementary humane step of summoning medical assistance for him when it was obvious that for many days, if not weeks, he was quite literally at death's door. Whatever view he may have expressed himself about not wanting to see a doctor, Each of you independently could and should have summoned that help. With proper medical care in hospital, his life could undoubtedly have been saved. Instead, he was condemned to a lingering death, lying for three months on an airbed and mattress in the living room of the family home, emaciated, immobile and doubtly incontinent. No one who has seen photographs of his emaciated body lying in the room where he died or even more so the photographs taken at his post-mortem, will ever be able to forget those images. They are too horrific to be published. They are hauntingly reminiscent of starving victims in the extermination camps of the Second World War. His pitiful state made a deep and lasting impression on experienced paramedics and police officers who attended the scene. While it was alleged by the three women that Jordan did not complain, either when he tried to move or during the application of salt water, the judge insisted that this was not due to the experience of being pain-free, but he was so malnourished that he was unable to express such a high level of discomfort. Dawn Cranston, Jordan's mother, 
was sentenced to four years in prison for manslaughter and 12 months for concealing the birth of a child. The judge explained that four years for manslaughter was the most lenient sentence he could pass in her case, factoring in both her mental disorder and his desire to give mercy the judge ruled that both sentences would run concurrently. For the charge of manslaughter, Dawn's mother, Denise, was sentenced to three years in prison. The judge acknowledged that Abigail Burling presented no risk or danger to the public and had no history of non-compliance with court orders. However, due to the severity of the offence and the fact that a life was lost, he sentenced her to 18 months in prison. Before they left the court to serve their sentence, Jordan's mother, grandmother and sister were told by the judge that, quote, You will each serve half of your sentence I have imposed upon you, at which point you will be released on license. Should you breach the terms of your license or commit any further offence, you will be liable to be returned to prison to serve the remainder of your sentence. The defence counsels for each of the convicted family members acknowledged the tragic circumstances of the case, but also wanted to highlight the hardship they felt their clients were now going to face. Speaking about his client Denise Cranston, counsel Ian Cook said, This is truly a sad case and nothing I can say in submissions today is intended to remove the fact that a young man has lost his life in distressing circumstances. QC for Abigail Burling Richard Wright raised the point that his client was not charged with manslaughter, however was facing the same hardship as Jordan's mother and grandmother. He stressed that Abigail was not as responsible for Jordan's care as the other two convicted family members. Richard Wright said, It is easy for casual observers to cast this case in terms of good and evil. The court will perhaps see those tragic events in a different light. However grotesque it may appear, there is an entire family dynamic that she depended on throughout her entire life. She will lose the support of her mother and grandmother. She has lost her home, forced out by the cruelty of local residents as a result of the reporting on the case in the media. The effects on her are profound. As the details of the trial were relayed across newspaper pages and media websites, it was reported that a joint review had been undertaken by Leeds Safeguarding Adults Board, Leeds Safeguarding Children's Partnership and Safer Leeds Executive to understand how Jordan slipped through the cracks and all but vanished from the view of any council or government agencies. The review started in 2017 however was halted to ensure the trial did not prejudice the review process. It was reported that the review would be subject to approval by the Home Office before it was finalised and published, though there were no timescales in place for the delivery of the report. During June 2019, as the review was at the time reportedly nearing completion, 
James Rogers, Safer Leeds Executive Chairman, was quoted as saying, Partners and agencies involved have already been amending practice where appropriate to address any issues identified during the court proceedings and remain committed to examine any lessons which need to be learned coming out of the final review. The report would identify what contact Jordan had with authorities prior to his death, as it was labelled needless and preventable by the trial judge. Dr Bernard Gallagher from the University of Huddersfield, who is described as a research leader into protecting children from abuse and neglect, spoke with Leeds Live. He said, It is staggering that routine checks are not carried out on young people who are taken out of school, particularly when schools these days are subjected to frequent scrutiny from Ofsted. During the interview, he went on to say, The truth is we do have child abuse and neglect and this is often brought to authorities' attention through schools and staff. I think inspectors should be going into homes to check on children taken out of school. Had this been done in Jordan Burling's case, someone would have seen not only that he was no doubt receiving a rubbish education, but also that he was a victim of shocking levels of neglect. Checks on the family home would have no doubt saved his life. It is estimated there are close to 50,000 children homeschooled throughout the United Kingdom, and that number is rising. While there is no evidence to suggest there is a high risk of abuse or neglect, there has been a push to create a council or government register, and proposals have been mentioned in the media. Damien Hines, Education Secretary at the time, wrote in The Telegraph, While we know historically that thousands of children who aren't in school will be receiving an excellent education by committed parents, there are also a portion who are hidden from view, potentially not receiving an education at all, potentially at risk. Children who are getting an education at all or being educated in illegal schools where they are vulnerable to dangerous influences. The truth is, we just don't know. As at the time of this recording, the results of the review into Jordan Burling's death have still not been published. So where are we now? Following the sentencing of Jordan's mother, grandmother and sister, a Change.org petition was set up demanding that the three convicted women each receive a more prolonged period behind bars. A portion of the petition reads, This is murder, and this sentence is offensive. We couldn't save him, but we can give him justice. Extend those sentences. The petition has received 172 signatures so far. Why Jordan Burling ended up in the state he did has never been fully understood. Why Jordan's mother, grandmother and sister chose to ignore his worsening condition has also never been explained in any reasonable way by his family members who were convicted. Why they decided not to contact the emergency services sooner remains something only they know. 
If you know of any child who is being abused or neglected and wish to seek assistance, you can contact the NSPCC in the UK on 0808 800 5000 or visit their website nspcc.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes, or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.